Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing, plus all of our other podcasts, over at blisterreview.com. Once again, we are broadcasting this episode from the Gunnison Valley of Colorado, and I would like to invite you to get away and come spend some time in our vast amounts of wide open spaces and do some running or hiking or biking on our amazing network of trails here in Gunnison and Crested Butte. Or if our conversation here today inspires you to start playing some pickup basketball, well, we've got some basketball courts here too. All right, question. What do Taco Bell, the Harlem Globetrotters, a twisted femur, and Rocky Balboa have in common? Well, they've all played a role in the journey of Camille Heron in becoming a world champion runner and a multiple world record holder. And perhaps the most surprising thing here is that Camille still has some very big plans ahead of her. So Brendan Leonard and I talked with Camille about all of the above, including her unusual path to trail running and what her sights are set on next. And so with that, we'll now have Brendan kick off our conversation with Camille Heron. Here we go. Camille Heron, very accomplished runner. Thank you for showing up on our little off the couch running podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm doing great. Just got back from a run, so yeah, I was planning to to chat with y'all. And you're you're in Alamosa now. Yeah, yeah, we live in Alamosa, Colorado, which is southern part of Colorado. Yeah, and how many how many years have you been there now? Uh, so I'm originally from Oklahoma, and I trained in Alamosa at the beginning of my marathoning career. And I basically came here because Dina Castor trained here when she was a marathoner. And um, so, yeah, I, I kind of fell in love with this place and I always wanted to come back here. And um, my husband and I came back to visit back in 2017. Um, and then we came back in 2018 and um, we started looking at houses. Uh, so I happened to have won a lot of prize money when I won the Comrades Marathon. And I kind of like fulfilled one dream and used all that money to buy a house. <laughs> so, so I used that to fulfill my next dream. So I ended up buying, uh, we ended up buying a house here in Alamosa. And so uh, we finally moved here permanently last year. Oh, okay, nice. Are the winters a little bit more mild or is it, is it worse? Uh, it's definitely more mild than Oklahoma. Uh I, I, well, wait, wait, well, I mean, the summers are more mild, but the winters are definitely brutal. <laughs> I, the one thing I wanted to ask you right off the bat is, have you made any more progress in getting sponsored by Taco Bell? Or is that like... Yeah, uh, I, I, I haven't talked to my husband lately, but uh, I think since all the pandemic stuff happened, um, I'm not really sure what's going on. But uh, I think at one time he was in talks with somebody about doing something but yeah i'm still still not spon officially sponsored by taco bell so it was on runner's world and it's a great story i think taco bell is in the headline but it's the year at the desert solstice invitational in december 2018 and uh you started to feel dizzy 18 hours into it's a 24-hour race 
in which you ran 162 point miles in set a new 100 mile and 24 hour world record but 18 hours into the race you started to feel dizzy so your support team handed you a double decker taco from taco bell and a beer and you drank the beer and ate the taco while running it's a high school track that this race is on so you drank the beer and ate the taco then felt immediately better and then went on to of course uh break records and win um so then taco bell sent camille a gift package with clothes tube socks beach towels and a gift card was it like a lifetime gift card to taco bell or what is it like a it was a little bit disappointing. Like, I think my husband went to go redeem it. And it was like twenty dollars. Oh, <laughs> come on, Taco Bell. Well, I'm, I'm sure you're still. I'm sure they're high quality Taco Bell socks. Though <laughs> you're probably still wearing those to run. Yeah, the socks are pretty cool. I think they they say like hot sauce or uh, hot hot sauce on the socks, and they got like little peppers on them. So. <laughs> oh yeah, fantastic. Uh, they're probably are they mer- merino wool too, or are they just. Uh, Oh, I, I don't know what they're made of, but they're they're like knee-high type socks, so... Oh, okay. I like to wear them when I'm traveling, so... <laughs> so, you come from, sounds like, a pretty hardcore line of people. You learn to push yourself really hard as a sort of a young child, I think seven years old, you were talking about in, in an interview I read. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. So uh, my my dad and my grandpa both played basketball at Oklahoma State uh, for Henry Iba. And so Henry Iba was like the Olympic team coach for three Olympics. And uh, my dad coached with Henry Iba back in the early 70s and for the Olympic development teams and that would would be used to select the Olympic team. So um, I grew up with this, you know, these two very big guys that played college basketball. Like, you know, they were, uh, they were like my role models, my heroes. And, and I'm built like my dad, like I'm all legs and arms. And, um, and so I wanted to be like my dad, like I wanted to grow up and be a basketball player. And uh, Lynette Woodard, um, who was the first female globetrotter. I saw her mm-hmm. on t- TV back in the mid eighties. And, um, and that was like my first, like to see like a, a professional woman athlete playing with the men. Um, I remember seeing that on TV when I was like three. And so, um, so yeah, just, you know, seeing her and, uh, my, my dad and my grandpa played basketball. I mean, I grew up wanting to be a hardcore, like basketball player and um i just remember like when i was a kid my dad used to tell stories about how uh they would practice uh for six hours without water (laughs) so this is like you know the the, i guess like maybe the early 60s uh back when you know they could get away with a lot of things i i grew up hearing these stories and i thought as a kid that that's what i had to do to grow up to be like my dad so i would be like dribbling and playing my driveway until the point where uh i would start to like black out and it would be like july and i'm you know i'm i'm like blacking out in my driveway and i thought that that's like what i had to do and then i would just like run inside and get like a ham sandwich and drink some sweet tea and uh and then go back out outside because I would feel like all energized that I felt like, Oh, I can go play again. And so, so funny enough, I mean, I was like training myself as, as almost as an ultra runner when I was like (laughs) seven in my driveway. (laughs) Did you do well at basketball when you were in high school or not? 
Yeah. So, um, I actually like, I'm pretty tall. I'm five, nine and a half. Mm -hmm. And, um, funny enough, like I didn't get my, I, so I started running in junior high and we had to run for track for off season conditioning. And, um, I mean, I, I was a pretty good basketball player for, for sure. I mean, I was a starting point guard on our junior high team. And so, um, I mean, I was really, I'm really good with my hands. Like my dad taught me to be a good free throw shooter and to be like a fun fundamentally good player with my hands and, um, and defense and all that. So, so when I went out for track, um, having been a point guard, I'm the one that does the most running. Um, it was pretty obvious that I had all this like natural running ability because I could just run and run and run and not get tired. And um, so, so yeah, funny enough, like I ended up, I was so good at the running that I just decided to, to give up the basketball, but I, I was kind of undersized when I was a basketball player, but I was really, really gritty and um, just technically really good. And so when I got to high school, I grew nine inches. <laughs> Oh wow! So, so I, I I laugh because um I'm I'm so much taller than what I was when I played basketball and when I like and um, like my husband my husband bought a basketball a couple of years ago and he had never seen me play with a basketball and he was just like in shock and all like he was like I've never seen you do this before and uh. And I'm like nine inches taller than I was when I played. So I'm a lot bigger and stronger now. And, um, and so I'm like, I'm like, man, what if I took up like adult league basketball or something? Like I'm, <laughs> I, I think I, I still have the, the skills. So yeah, like at the Alamosa rec league, you could <laughs> <laughs> dominate. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm certainly no life coach or anything, but I feel like you should stick with the the running for a little bit longer, at least. I think I should too. Yeah, I I I, I funny enough, like I think it was last week, and I pulled out my golf clubs. Uh, so I grew up like playing a lot of sports. Like I played golf, I played basketball, and uh, so I got out in our backyard with some wiffle balls and my golf clubs. And uh, my husband's never seen me play golf either, and um, and I like hit like a wiffle ball over our back fence. And he was so, so my husband, he was like, he's like, I'm not going to go get it. So I had to go run, run behind her house and go get it. So, yeah, I, I do see a lot of domination of Al different Alamosa sports leagues uh, in your future. So this is an exciting, an exciting development. Yeah, my, I, I think it's just so funny that my, my husband hasn't seen me play other sports. Like he just knows me as a runner. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure if I, if I got a pair of rollerblades or, uh, <laughs> you know, my, my husband will be like, Oh my gosh, I've never seen you do that before. <laughs> I love these like athletic skeletons coming out of the closet and the, you know, like <laughs> then he finds out you can throw a perfect spiral for like a 50 yard pass. Like, yeah. Just, just like that. Who knows? Yeah, I was pretty good with the football too. Like, I, 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 like I grew up like playing like flag football and softball and like all these sports. And um, I think when he when he bought the basketball, because I grew up wanting to be a globe trotter, so um, I I like know all these tricks with the basketball, and I hadn't even done it in like twenty years. And um, and so my husband got this basketball, and he's like, oh my gosh, like. <laughs> Yeah, my my wife just bought me a basketball like uh, like a few months ago, and I was I had not shot it in like 
gosh, maybe once in like 20 years. And it was surprising how much of that muscle memory comes back just a little bit, you know, like I could still spin it on my finger and like I haven't. Maybe maybe we should start our own league, the three of us. It sounds like we've all um, among us, we've got some skills with the basketball. We can all spin (laughs) it on our finger, that kind of thing. So this is a yeah. All right. We'll we'll carry on talks. Maybe you know at later we'll 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 figure out our future here. Yeah. So Camille, you you start succeeding a little bit in cross country or track or both in high school. What was the? Well, funny enough, like I always thought that cross country was my better sport, but I actually had more success on the track. Um, and so like I won, I won three state titles in high school and, um, I was all state three times in cross country, but I never won state in cross country. Um, but, but yeah, I grew nine inches and I was so like tall and lean and awkward in high school that, um, I had a lot of injuries, but I was very, I mean, I was, I was definitely very, very talented and, um, ended up getting athletic and academic scholarships to university of Tulsa. And I continued to have some injuries there. Um, and so I ended up getting a medical hardship. And um, so, so I just became a student, basically. And um, in the meantime, I met my husband, uh, Connor, who um, he was in the process of trying to get American citizenship because he's originally from Ireland. And, um, so he got his American citizenship and then he was able to train to make the Olympic marathon trials. So, um, so I was pretty much just helping him with his running career about 2004. And I, like I was, I was in school at university of Tulsa and, uh, he had, he was living in Norman. Um, he was actually living with my grandpa at the time. Uh, so my grandpa was like in his eighties and, uh, he was living with my grandpa and taking care of him and, uh, cooking and helping him, uh, and, and such. So, um, I would drive down on the weekends and drive the long runs with my husband. Um, like he would be like running 22 miles and, uh, I would be driving my car and handing him off bottles, uh, for his long runs. Um, but I was just a recreational runner. Like I wasn't even competing at that point, uh, because I'd had all these injuries and, um, but yeah, the, so basically the turning point was, um, he had made the Olympic marathon trials in 2004 and then we went up to Boulder, Colorado, uh, that following summer. And, um, one day we went out running together and I didn't get back from the run until after him. And he was like, he's like, well, how much are you running? And I was like, well, I'm running uh, about 70 miles per week. And he was like 70 miles per week. Like, he's like, that's a lot. And, uh, so he was just really shocked that I was even running that much. And I I was just running it for fun. Like I wasn't even training to compete or anything. And, um, he, he basically just, the tables turned that he started coaching me and, um, giving me workouts and, um, yeah, my, my, basically my adult running career kind of took off from there. So. Yeah, and you you qualified for the Olympic marathon trials as well for three different times, right? Yeah, yeah. So I so he ended up coaching me, and um, uh, four years after he had made the Olympic trials, I ended up making a, my first Olympic trials in two thousand eight. And then I made it again in 2012 and 2016. And um, I had started, I had kind of 
gotten hooked on running a lot of marathons uh, in between all that. So I had gotten sponsorship with marathonguide.com and who manages like this race website. Uh, I think they do like race registrations and um, I mean, it's a popular like marathon website. And so I got sponsorship with them and they were basically like paying me to like go run all these marathons around the country. And, um, and so I ended up making, I qualified for the Olympic marathon trials, uh, in 2012, uh, seven times. <laughs> I was just like, so I was, I was running like a lot of marathons, like really, really fast. Like I could literally run, I could literally qualify for the Olympic trials, like weekend after weekend. And, <laughs> and so I, uh, I ended up getting invited to the New York city marathon back in 2011. And, um, and so I had gotten, I had gotten invited to New York city and then I found out that I had made the U.S. Pan American team in the marathon, um, which was happening two weeks before New York City. So I ended up doing both marathons. I ended up running the Pan American Games and came back and I ended up being third American at New York City. And, um, and so I'd run like two high quality marathons in two weeks and did really, really well. And so when I was at New York City, the elite coordinator, David Monty, started talking to me about ultra running. And he's like, he's like, hey, you're running all these marathons, you know, really, really fast. Like, why don't you think about getting into ultra running? So, um, so yeah, that's kind of how the, the whole ultra running thing happened. <laughs> and what was your what was your first race that you that you did as an ultra ultra marathoner? Yeah. So, uh, so David, David Monty, um, had told me about two oceans in South Africa, uh, which is 56 kilometers. Um, I think that let's see how far that might be about 35 miles or so. So I ended up running my first ultra at two oceans in 2013. And then, um, and I, I actually, so my first couple ultras did not go that well. And, um, I think it was just when I went to two oceans, I mean, it's kind of overwhelming to run your first ultra because you don't know how to pace yourself. And, um, I mean, you're going, you're going further than you ever have. And, um, I ended up running like pretty conservatively and I finished 10th at two oceans uh, and two oceans is a pretty competitive race. Like it's, it's a lot of women who are kind of like crossover marathoners that, like they may have represented their country and uh, they want to get into ultra running. Um, and so I ended up getting 10th at two oceans and I was kind of disappointed with that. And then I went to comrades in 2014 and I had a stomach virus and I ended up passing out at like 83 kilometers. And, um, and so my first my first two ultras did not go very well. And then 2015, I said, well, I'm going to recommit myself and I'm going to like, I've, I've got to, you know, I've got to put it all out there. And so 2015 was when I started to, um, to just dominate everything. Um, and I ended up winning, uh, I, I broke two world record, or I broke uh, two records by Ann Trayson, who's like the considered like the greatest ultra runner of all time. Um, so literally like my, my first hundred K that I ran, I broke one of her records and I was driving to work 
And um, the race director called me. He's like, hey, do you realize you broke all these records uh, by like Ann Trayson? And I was like, and I kind of knew who Ann Trayson was because like I had read like Born to Run and like I kind of like I kind of vaguely knew who she was, but didn't really know so much about her career. So I'm like, I'm at work and I'm trying to Google who is Ann Trayson. <laughs> and it dawned on me. <laughs> It dawned on me, like, oh my gosh, I just broke one of her records by like seven minutes. And um, and so it just kind of dawned on me, like, oh wow, like, you know, maybe I should keep doing this. So I ended up going, I went to the world championship uh that the following fall, and I won I won the world title, my first world title. And, and then six weeks after that is when I broke the 50 mile world record by Ann Trayson. And, um, and then six weeks after that, I won the 50 K world championship. So I had won two national titles, two world titles and broken a world record in my first year. (laughs) And that's when you just dropped the mic, retired from running and took up, (laughs) took up intramural wiffle ball in Alamosa. Is that how that? Is that how that went? I, I probably I probably could have retired after that. That's a pretty but <laughs> pretty good way to by start. By the way, I love the I love the idea of you googling <laughs> Ann Trayson. It's a little bit like it's a little bit like a a good basketball player googling like who is Michael Jordan. You know, and they're just like, I don't know. I guess I'm pretty good at basketball. And people are like, you just broke some Michael Jordan record. And they're like Googling. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so anyway, that's good. It's, yeah. I and, and still like, I, I just remember like that first year. I mean, it was just so weird. And I just remember when I ran my first 100K and I mean, I had no concept of what like a good hundred K time was. And, and, and my Facebook, because I was like Facebook friends with a lot of ultra runners. And, um, I mean, they were just like floored and I didn't, I didn't have, I didn't have an appreciation of what I had done. Like I, I had no concept. <laughs> I mean, I just went out there, I just went out there and did it and like, didn't even have like a plan, like wasn't planning to pace any, I had no idea. Like it just, I just ran. <laughs> so <laughs> it's really interesting. Yeah. When you talk about your, your early experiences and the, like you're breaking records on roads and tracks at this point, that's, that's what the records are established, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it was kind of more natural for me uh, having been a marathoner to transition to road ultras. And I, I mean, I had no idea anything about trail running. Like, I was just ever like, so w- once I got into it, everybody's like, Oh, you have to do trail running. You have to do Western States. You have to do all these races. I didn't even know what these races were. Mm-hmm. So I had, I mean, I was just a complete, I was, it was like I had entered a whole new sport and I'm suddenly a world champion and I'm like breaking records and I don't know who these people are. And, um, <laughs> so, so my, my first, my first like couple of years was just trying to, um, learn the sport. And, uh, and, and so my second year, I mean, I, I started trying to get into trail running and, um, I mean, it was actually, uh, it was pretty awkward for me. I mean, I, I was always a really good cross country runner, but, um, obviously trail running is much, much further 
and um, very, you know, mountainous and like just totally different. So, I mean, there's, there's kind of been a learning curve for me, like learning how to do trail running. And, um, but the, the road ultras were kind of more of a, a natural thing for me. So. Yeah. And to be that successful right away. So I understand that you're winning these championships and setting records and you kind of figured maybe I should get an agent and some sponsors. And there's a story about you got an agent and uh, your agent approached Nike and Nike said, nah, no thanks. And you wrote him back and said, basically, I refuse to take no for an answer from Nike. I've, I've been running, I've been running hundred mile weeks for almost 10 years now. And, and he sent that back to Nike and they said, sure. Okay. Well, we'll take you on, I guess. Can you, can you tell that story? I mean, that's, that's a very obviously, uh, it's a great story. I, 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 I like it was several years before I even told this story because I like I just felt like okay this is like a story I would tell someday in a book, and then I like last year uh, I was like no I was like I gotta tell this story now so uh, so what happened was uh, back in 2015 when I had all this success um, I was working full time in research and I mean I had literally come into the sport I had no idea what to do finding out that I'm suddenly really, really good at this. Um, and so I just thought that the professional thing to do was to get an agent. And so, uh, so the agent that I had at the time, um, he was like trying to tell me that I needed that, that, Oh, you have to be a trail runner. You have to like, nobody, nobody's really into road ultras in America. Uh, so I, I started to feel like, I was not valued as an athlete. Like it was really, really, it was really, really hard for me at first because I just didn't, I, I was being turned down. I was being turned down by sponsors and I was being told like, this is what you have to do. No one cares what you just did. Um, so it was actually a really, really difficult year for me after I had all the success and I finally, I finally said, okay, I'm going to get rid of that guy and I'm going to get a new agent. And um, I had actually, uh, one of, one of my friends, um, had hooked up with, uh, my, my current agents, Mark Massalier. And so I ended up getting in touch with Mark and, um, he's the one that made the connection with Nike. So at the time, this is like 2016 and, uh, the, the Olympics had just happened so Nike was at the point where, uh, they were like, I mean, they had, you know, had all these athletes for four years, the Olympics had happened. They weren't really planning on signing any new athletes. And so, um, I was like at that point where I was ready to get my career going. So I was hoping, you know, to get some, some sort of sponsorship and, um, and so Mark, so, so yeah, so Mark had good relations with Nike because, uh, he formerly worked for Hoka and he worked for Nike at one point. And, uh, so I got turned down like multiple times by Nike and, um, and I finally said, I finally said, you know, this is just not right. I, I, I wrote this, I went for a run like that evening and I came back and I wrote this very like impassioned email to Mark and, uh, Mark really, really liked what I said. And he said, Hey, can I forward this on to, to John Capriati who, who's at, at Nike? Um, and so he forwarded it on and, uh, 
and and, and uh, uh, John really liked what I said. Like, uh, basically, I stood up. I stood up and said, you know, I refuse to accept no. Uh, you know that that my talent matters to the sport. Like, I'm going to elevate the sport to a whole new level. Um. So so yeah, I just I just like you know spoke from the heart. Like all these, you know, like just say, hey, I know I know I have a very special talent. Like this has to happen. I have to be with the best brand. Um, and so yeah, basically Nike was willing to to give me another chance, and uh, I ended up uh, signing sponsorship with them. So, do you think that approach would work for me? I just want to get like some free Jordans. <laughs> um. <laughs> Maybe if you send in that video of you spinning that basketball on your finger, Brendan, that'll that'll probably, that'll probably it. do it. <laughs> there you go. So that was that was 2016 um, for you, and and you're starting to move into do more trail races at that point, or is that the next year? Yeah. So so I. So it's so cool because like here, like Nike was willing to take a chance on me and 2017 was when I just absolutely crushed it. Um, so I ended up, uh, I got into more trail racing and it started to go really, really well. Um, I think I, I think I had won the Terrawear ultra marathon in New Zealand and set a course record there. Um, and then, and then, so I went to go run a trail race in March and it was very, very muddy there. And I ended up slipping and I tore my MCL. And this is like middle of March. I tore my MCL. The Comrades Marathon is in June. And so I literally was devastated because I thought like, oh my gosh, that like, I, I, I mean, as a basketball player, tearing your MCL or tearing your ACL, I was like, oh my gosh, that's like a really long, hard injury to come back from. Well, and I got lucky because by, I think I had torn like maybe just over 50% of my ligament. And so I was basically like rehabbing it with my PT for a couple of weeks. And I started back running in April and like, I went from like a walk jog to like within a week, I was back running in like an hour. And I had, I had eight weeks to see if I could try to come back for comrades. And so I pretty much just took it a day at a time. And, uh, within like a month of coming back, like, uh, I mean, it had been like six weeks since I'd torn my NCL. Uh, I was back to running 20 miles and uh, yeah. So, um, so we kind of just took it like a week at a time and I ended up having, um, two weeks before comrades, I had a really, really good workout and my husband decided to book plane tickets to go to comrades. Well, in the meantime, he ended up having a dream that I had one comrade. And, and so like, I, like, I felt like it was destiny that I was supposed to come back from my knee injury and go to comrades and I was going to win it. So we ended up going to South Africa and, and, and I just, I was just on fire in that race. I ended up, uh, leading it from start to finish. And, um, I mean, it's so cool to watch the video of that because I literally look like I'm on a mission. And, uh, I mean, it was just, 
it, it was just such a, an emotionally moving experience just thinking about what I had overcome with my knee injury um, and trying to rehab it, trying to come back from that. And uh, and then just Connor had this dream that I had won and uh, they shot confetti at the finish line in his dream. And uh, sure enough, like when I when I crossed the finish line at Comrades, they shot confetti and I mean, it was just, it was just like exactly like Connor's dream. So, uh, so yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. This is always interesting, right? Like, I guess every runner across the course of his or her career ends up having that sort of the best race, right? When it might not even mean yeah. like the first place or breaking a world record or anything like that, but it, it, somehow the stars just align sometimes for reasons that you wouldn't have necessarily predicted. I mean, would you say, I mean, would you call this sort of the best run of your life or favorite run of your life? Or have you had a, a, a similar feeling to that day, you know, during a different event? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I feel like it could literally be like a movie leading up to me winning comrades. Like that entire year was just so incredibly hard because, um, I, in 2016, a year before it, um, I talked about how I was trying to get sponsorships. I was getting turned down. I mean, I was in a really, really sad, uh, state in my, in my life because I felt like I was not being valued. I felt like I had this amazing talent and like nobody believed in me. And, um, and then, you know, and then eventually like I, you know, got hooked up with Mark and, uh, got, you know, my sponsorship with Nike. And then I tore my MCL 10 weeks before <laughs> I won Comrades. So, I mean, there were so many extreme highs and lows, like leading up to me winning the race. And, um, and I felt like, I felt like I had so much emotion going into that race that I was fueled by more, I was fueled more by emotion than I was uh, fitness that I don't think I was in like my lifetime best fitness, like not even close going into that race, but I was so determined. And so like, felt like this is my moment to show the world, like what I can do kind of thing. Um, and so, yeah, and I mean, I had already won, I mean, I was, I was obviously very talented because of what I had done in 2015, but, um, but just knowing everything I, I had to endure, uh, to, to win that race. I mean, that's, that's really what fueled me in that race. And, um, and yeah, I mean, when I, when I can reflect back on, uh, other, other moments I've had in, in my running career, um, I mean, I've had other times I've had to come back from injuries and uh, to do amazing things, but uh, comrades, comrades was just such a such a emotionally moving experience that um, that yeah, I mean, I definitely think back on that uh, pretty fondly. So, do you put pressure on Connor now to dream uh, more <laughs> success for you, or is that like? <laughs> Well, uh, I would say I would say his dreams are a lot more positive than mine are. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait a minute. We need to hear more about this. Yeah. <laughs> the dreams. Well, I I mean, my dreams are more like 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 running through buildings and like I get lost or uh, I get locked in a portage on or you know I my my dream <laughs> I think my dreams are more like anxiety related and his dreams are more like I won the race I set a course record or you know, so 
<laughs> so we we definitely we definitely definitely look at more at his dreams than we do mine because mine are just like way out there. <laughs> That's uh, I, I just imagine you two weeks before every race just getting up in the morning drinking coffee and being like, "So how did it go <laughs> right. last night? Right. What, was, what was your dream like? Right. Did you did Connor's <laughs> like, did you make it out of the porta potty this time or did you stay trapped in there all night? <laughs> Oh my gosh. It's just so weird. I, I always have these like maze type dreams. Like I'm running through buildings or I get lost or like, yeah, just weird, weird stuff like that. So I, uh, I have gotten lost in races before. So, um, so yeah, that's like a runner's worst nightmare. <laughs> yeah. On the subject, on sort of on the subject of injuries, I understand you were you were born with your right thigh bone twisted inwards, and you have an extra bone in your right foot. How did that affect you growing up running, and how does it affect your running now? Yeah, yeah. So, and I like because I I grew up playing basketball, and I always knew like my right arm had a funny twist to it, and then when I would stand in the mirror, like my right femur. Like my right femur would be twisted inwards and I had to twist my right foot outwards so that my knee aligned forwards. So I knew I had this like funny twist to my, the right side of my body. And when I started to run and like, it was just really awkward. Like I, I could run, like I had like amazing endurance, but my gait was really, really unusual. And so I feel like I've gone like my whole life of having this like funny gait and people doubting that I could be successful, like with the way that I run. And so, uh, since I got into ultra running, I found out that the way that I run and ends up being a advantage, uh, because I, I'm, I'm not very powerful. Uh, I lift off the ground rather than pushing. So I'm not, I'm not putting a lot of force into every step. So I, I have some sort of way that I'm, I'm basically not breaking down with each step. Like I'm uh, very light on my feet. And so I think that that, that ended up being, uh, I basically this, this, you know, thinking, thinking that I was born with, you know, these weird mechanics and this weird running gait and ended up being an advantage for ultra running. And so, uh, so people, people still like to say, you know, oh, you run so funny. Like, you know, I have a funny gait, but at the same time, I'm the one that holds all the world records. So <laughs> I'm like, you know, I mean, you look at track and field athletes and, you know, somebody like is, you know, tall or they've got some unusual, they've got some sort of unusual trait about them. And, you know, that could be that could be the the characteristic that makes you, you know, the, the world-class, uh, you know, one in a million type of athlete. So yeah. Does, does Superman fly funny? Do you right. Think? <laughs> like, oh, it's such a weird superpower. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Like I, even like when I went for my, my 24 hour world record, like I hit, I hit like over a hundred miles and everybody else is like tired. They're like breaking down and I'm still going. Like, it's like, I, I still have a jet pack on me <laughs> and, uh, and, and yeah, like even at the world championship, I hit 150 miles and everybody else is really, really tired and I'm just still chugging along. So, um, yeah, I've just got this really weird, like superpower <laughs> that I was just born with. So also on the subject of injuries, you had, you were saying you had some injuries in high school and then you had a bunch of stress fractures 
in college, which led you to switch majors to exercise and sports science to study sort of bone and muscle type things. Can you can you talk about how that came about and and where where that led you? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I basically, I mean, I grew nine inches in high school, and uh, I wanted to understand. I just, I, I, I didn't even care about being a competitive athlete anymore. But I wanted to understand how I could keep myself healthy to to be able to run for my life. And so uh, I ended up changing, I changed my major because my roommate had changed her major from biology to exercise sports science. And, uh, and I started realizing like, oh, you know, I, I, it sounded like fun to be able to take like exercise physiology and nutrition courses and uh, biomechanics and that sort of stuff. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I just really wanted to know more about like bone health and exercise and, uh, you know, why why do I keep having stress fractures? And, um, and really, I mean, for me, it was just an imbalance between my muscles and bones. Like I, I just hadn't really grown into my body, uh, my adult body. And so, uh, it was kind of amazing because like probably around the age of 22, uh, so I, I was telling the story about how I, I just started running a lot. Um, and Connor realized one day that I was running like 70 miles per week. And it was almost like I had finally like grown into my body and, uh, my, my muscles and my bones were finally balanced. And, um, and I mean, that was a fascinating thing to me because I, I was doing research with my advisor at the time. And then we were doing strength training studies. And, um, and so he was more of a muscle physiology guy. Um, but I, I wanted to go on to study bone in grad school. And, um, so yeah, that's, that's what I ended up studying. What does your training then look like these days, kind of given what you've learned? And then I'm also curious, given this kind of unique gate, you know, you've talked about, are you doing like specific either strength training or exercises to somehow, you know, that are somehow related to your gait? Or is it just kind of like, nope, it's a gait that works. We don't really train for it, think about it. You know, it kind of is what it is. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So, um, so yeah, I basically ended up going to grad school and I, I did my master's thesis on um, how to uh, enhance bone recovery uh, with, uh, with a device called whole body vibration training, which is like this vibration platform that you can stand on or do exercises on. Uh, and it provides like a low level stimulus to, and uh, that, that is a positive stimulus for bone mass. And um, so I, I basically did my thesis on, uh, how to optimize mechanical stress for bone. And, um, and I was getting pretty serious with my running around the time because this is like a couple of years before the 2008 Olympic marathon trial. So I was, I was trying to train for my first marathon. And uh, at the same time, I was doing my thesis and learning about uh, how to apply mechanical stress in a positive way for bone. And so what I was learning uh, through my science studies was that uh, the bone is better to split stress into multiple bouts in a day with a rest period uh, of like four to eight hours between uh, between excerpt between the uh, the mechanical stimulus basically. So uh, it was funny because around that time I had started running twice a day 
And I was finding that I felt better. Like I felt like I was getting fitter and recovering faster. And at the same time, I'm doing my thesis and I'm reading research papers about how it's better to split the stress into multiple bouts. So, so it was kind of reinforcing, you know, what I was finding out through myself, through my training that, that oh, this is what the science supports. And, and then on top of that, uh, the science says that the, the body, the, the, or the, the bones respond to, um, to like, uh, like, I guess, like infrequent bouts of uh, high intensity training. So, so we think, we think about like with running, like you do a hard workout and then you have, you have a couple of recovery days between, uh, when, when you do your next hard workout. And so that's basically, you know, what, what's supported by the science is it says that the body is very responsive to this, uh, running your easy days, easy and your hard days hard and having rest, rest periods between those hard workouts. So, uh, so I was able to kind of develop my own training philosophy of, you know, working the body in different, uh, high intensity ways, uh, like, like, uh, hill workouts or, uh, short intervals, long intervals, uh, a long run with like a tempo run, uh, progression run in it. Uh, and so I, I was able to develop my own training philosophy based on the science that I was learning, you know, of how the body responds to a variety of high intensity training combined with, uh, these, uh, like low intensity, you know, recovery type training. So, yeah. So if you're, if you're training for say a hundred mile race, like coming up in September of this year, like how high of mileage do you get when you're training for a hundred based on that? Or do you just say, okay, I'm going to do a 50 and I'm going to like, that's your long day or, or do you split it up into two runs or how do you, how do you go about it? Yeah. So, so, uh, so I was talking about how, when I first got into ultra running, uh, that I wasn't, I wasn't doing as well as I thought I, I, I could do. And, uh, what, what I was trying to do was I was trying to extend my long run. I was trying to run more mileage and it was making me more tired. I said, I said, okay, this is not working. It's making me more tired. I'm going to go straight back to marathon training because I, I had my, I already had my system developed that, uh, from being a marathoner for a long time. And so 2015 was when I went back straight up marathon training for ultras. And that's when I started to break all these records and have all the success. So as I, as I've gotten longer in distance and I've gotten more into trail running, um, I've stuck with marathon training and um, with, with the exception that if I'm training for trail, like my upcoming race might be a hundred miles on trail, then I'll try to do more of my training on trail to get used to that, uh, that terrain. Um, so, so yeah, I, I kind of, it's kind of more like marathon training with a specificity to the type of terrain that I'm training for. Um, and, and like, if I'm training for 24 hours on a road, then I'll do more road running. So, so, so do you, will you end up doing like a 50 or 60 mile trail run in advance of like that hundred mile race or not? Is it like a, so, so that's, I think that that's one, that's one unique thing that, that makes me different from a lot of ultra runners. I mean, I, I came into the sport from a marathoning background, mm -hmm. so I was not, 
I was really not like swayed to train a certain way. Like I, I just straight up did marathon training and started like having all the success. And I said, well, I'm not going to change anything about what I do because it works for me. Yeah. So I like, I've never done, I've never done back to back long runs, which is a common thing for ultra runners to do. And I, what, what I found works for me is like, if I'm training for, you know, a hundred miles in September and maybe like three to six weeks out, I'll do like a, a either a marathon or 50 K and either on road or on trail. Like I, I don't think it really, well, preferably, I mean, I'll, I'll try to do it like whatever the surface I'm training for, but yeah, I pretty much, I mean, my long runs are about 18 to 22 miles. Like when I'm just training, but then I'll do this, I'll do, like I said, I'll do like a marathon or 50 K like three to six weeks before and, uh, use that as like to, to practice my, tr- uh, my, uh, nutrition and, uh, just to get, you know, back in that race mode. So So just to be clear, even going into a hundred mile race, really the longest you're going to go in preparation is 50 K. Yeah. This is the most we've ever talked about someone's training plan. It's good, Brendan. We're, we're growing and developing. Now we should talk about pumpkin spice Oreos or something. Carrot cake Oreos. Yeah. No. (laughs) Okay. That's off. That's only our texts. They're not worth, they're not worth talking <laughs> okay. about. Um, oh. Are they really carrot cake Oreos? Yep. <laughs> they're not, they're not, they're, they're fine. They're just like, so they're, they're also vegan. So strangely, because vegan, we spent like, time talking about carrot cake Oreos on a previous episode. See, we have to just dial <laughs> up and go a little more into the weeds about specific training, you know, just to keep sort of some balance, you know, keep some balance in our lives. Yeah, you're right. 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 Yeah. yeah. So Camille, I, there's some, there's definitely some mentions in some of the stories written about you that you're very interested in addressing the sort of inequality between genders and in running and how, you know, that was sort of a, a thing that got you fired up to get a, to work harder, to get a sponsor. Um, you couldn't believe you were, you were, you were having all this success and you were like, where, where are the sponsors at? Like, why can't I? can I get this? And you have, I think you've, have you, let's see, I'm looking at a couple of races that you've actually won outright overall male and female divisions beat, beat everyone. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and what that's looked like for you the past couple of years? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, like I, like I mentioned, um, it was, it was really frustrating for me because I, I'd had so much success in my first year that, I mean, it, it was obvious that I was extremely talented, uh, as an ultra runner. And, but I mean, to get sponsorship was just a whole other ball game. And, uh, it was like, I was being turned down by sponsors who were choosing to sponsor, uh, less, less qualified men. Um, and I mean, that just frustrated the heck out of me. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think I've definitely seen a change the past couple of years, like, uh, especially with like more women, 
um, from other sports coming out and trying to stand up for women's issues. Um, and so I feel like there's just been a, a turning of the tide that the women, that, that more women are, are speaking out and uh, saying, you know, hey, you know, <laughs> we, we got to stand up for ourselves and uh, what women are doing, especially in ultra running. I mean, there's so many amazing women right now that are like winning races outright and we're getting, you know, media headlines around the world. And, and, and so I think that, you know, our, our talent should be valued just as much as the men, um, maybe if not more, because I mean, we're beating, we're beating the men. Um, and so I, I, I think that, you know, a lot, it, I, mean, I mean, a lot of it just started with the, with me coming into the sport and, um, and, you know, just trying to be more vocal about it. And, um, it's giving more confidence to other women, uh, to, to even the way that women race in ultras that I, I'm starting to see a change in more women, uh, putting themselves out there and not being afraid uh, that it's becoming more accepted for women, top women to be up with the top men um, or maybe even beating the top men. And um, so, so, yeah, I feel like there's been this shift the past couple of years that, that hey, you know, women are, are pretty amazing at ultra running. Um, and I, I think it's really cool that, you know, we're starting to be more valued by sponsors and, and be uh, be promoted more in the media. So, yeah. Were they, were the companies giving you reasons like, well, like what were, were they telling you things that you were, I mean, were they, obviously they weren't saying, no, we can't do it because you're a woman, but were they telling you why they weren't able to sponsor you at the time? And well, uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I think back to like 2016 that, um, that one, one sponsor in particular was trying to tell me that, uh, that, Oh, you know, we'll show you our way. Uh, we'll show you our way of how to, how to talk and how to present ourselves. Like they were wanting to like control, like, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't be my authentic self. Like I had to have a certain oh. image. I had to have a certain image and how I presented myself and what I said to fit their ethos of their brand. It was really, really strange. Like I, I definitely said no to that sponsor and, um, I don't know about other sponsors, but I mean, at that, at that time, I mean, I think there was a survey that was done in ultra running and it was showing that, that, uh, women were, you know, that women, women, women were, I, I guess, not getting as much like financial sponsor that they were more willing to accept just product only sponsorship. And there were more men getting paid. And, uh, and so it was really, it was, I, I remember when that survey came out and I mean, I think a lot of it is more women needing to, to stand up and to vocalize that, Hey, you know, you got to, you got to value my talent. Like this is, this is what I demand rather, rather than, uh, you know, uh, leaving it up to the sponsor to make an offer and then just going with it that, uh, you know, you got to be like, <laughs> you got to be like straightforward. And, uh, for me, I felt like I needed to have an agent because I needed to have somebody to go to bat for me so that I didn't get, you know, I didn't get like, uh, and, uh I mean, it was hard because, uh, and I, and I still feel that way that it's almost like, uh, and, and Mark, Mark represents a bunch of women in the sport. And I think it really helps to have like somebody go to bat for you that, um, that if, I mean, maybe I don't really know. I mean, it, it's really interesting that, that maybe there are top men that can just go, go to bat for themselves. 
but as a woman, I need to have somebody to go to bat for, for me. So I feel like that's good for, yeah. Like men or women just to not be the, the one who's having to negotiate and like it takes it away from the, then you're not you're like, Oh, it's then it doesn't affect you emotionally. You're not like, Oh, I'm not good enough. It's like you have the buffer. Um, that's a good idea. I mean, I, like I, I've been in sports long enough that, um, and I mean, going back to when I was a marathoner and I, I, I had an agent at the beginning of my marathoning career and I kind of got to, I got to know, you know, what the benefits of having an agent was. Um, and I just, I just feel like from a professional standpoint that it's good to have, it's good to have somebody that's negotiating on your behalf and goes to bat for you. And, uh, Mark, Mark has good relationships with a lot of brands and shoe companies. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think it, and it also takes the weight off of me because, uh, I just, I should just be focused on my running. Like I shouldn't mm-hmm. be so focused on the business side and, uh, negotiating contracts and, and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I've pretty much got Mark as my agent and then Connor, uh, who you've been, you guys have been communicating with, uh, Connor, Connor helps with kind of more the management side of, uh, communication. And, uh, he's kind of my, my human scheduler basically. Can, um, so I, I first read about you in, in this, uh, 2019 article in the telegraph in the UK. Do you know this article? Can I, can I actually, I just want to read a section of the, the piece. So the headline is, yeah, the headline is, quote, I puked, fouled myself and collapsed. It was great, quote, unquote. Meet the record-breaking ultramarathon runner fueled by beer and burritos. And then the, the photo is, I think you're sitting, maybe this has got to be after the race. You're sitting in like a camp chair with a space blanket and a, uh, an expensive beer in your hand. But there's a paragraph like, like actually this is the lead of the story, isn't it? Yeah. So I'm just gonna read it and kind of want to talk to you about what you what you said and kind of what you're mentally going through there. Um, it says at the 2019 Ultra Running World Championship, competitors looped a 1500 meter circuit continuously for 24 hours, and with time running out, American Camille Heron was suffering. She had thrown up twice, stopped to lie down twice, and had such serious bowel issues that the officials had forced her off the course to shower and change her clothes. By the finish, Heron had run 168 miles, the equivalent of running six and a half consecutive marathons, each in an average time of three hours and 44 minutes. And the the quote from you is, after puking the second time with two and a half hours to go, I just said to myself, let's drop the hammer. Let's go beast mode. Heron started to fly. Quote, I like to think of myself as a boxer throwing punches, she said. Those last few hours were awesome. The most fun I've ever had in a race. Can you can you kind of talk about mentally where you where you go in those like with that sort of adversity? I mean, like, I feel like a lot of people, myself included, would kind of just go, you know, this this isn't my day. You know, I'm just (laughs) might have to just call it a day here. But you seem to respond to all of this, all of these body signals going, Hey, just stop running. And you're just like, no way I'm going to keep doing this. How does that, how does that manifest in your, in your head during the race or how does that play out in your head? I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, like I said, you know, I mean, I grew up with my, my dad and my grandpa were both two really, really tough guys. And, and I mean, I grew up around sports. I grew up watching the Rocky movies. And I mean, I just remember as a kid, like, 
watching Rocky and I mean, you know, 12 rounds of punches and I mean, he just never gave up. Like he was just relentless. And so even like my training leading up to that race, I told myself, I'm, I, I was mentally preparing myself to throw 12 rounds of relentless punches. And so, you know, when I hit, when I hit like with two and a half hours to go and, and I mean, I'm just dead to the world and had puked over the railing and, um, all these GI issues. And, and I, I, in my head, I was picturing myself as Rocky in the 12th round and ready, just, just keep throwing punches, keep throwing punches. And, um, and I remember like my husband had told me, my husband knows me really, really well. And he knew, he knew how to push my buttons. So he told me, I think with like two and a half hours ago that uh, I was on, I was on track to pass Scott Jurek and um, who's, who's one of the, the top all time American ultra runners. And um, uh, so he had run, I think like 165 miles. And so Connor said that like, you know, Hey, Hey, you can pass Scott Jurek on the all time list. And uh, that, that was really what lit my fire. Like I, I'm, in my in my head, I was thinking I was in the twelfth round with Scott Jerk, and I'm ready to throw some punches. So, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I just went absolute beast mode and dug as deep as I possibly could. And I mean, it would it would be great to see like video footage of me running because I literally it, it probably looked like I was throwing punches in the race, like just getting everything out of myself. And um, and yeah, I mean it's. It's fun. I've seen pictures and um, the last couple hours, and I mean, I have this like pained expression on my face, and like I'm just, I'm, I'm literally in this like transcendental state in my head, and I'm getting it out, and I'm throwing punches, and um, yeah, and I mean, I was able to to improve my own world record by five miles, and um, and I and I think the cool thing about it is it almost shows like the power of the mind to overcome the body. Like, I mean, you can be in so much extreme, extreme pain and you can just like mentally go to a whole other state to get yourself, you know, to go even five miles further. And, um, and so I, I, I think it's so incredible. Like ultra running is such a mental, mental thing. So yeah, speaking of Rocky, I don't know if this is relevant <laughs> or not, but uh, did you know uh, that there's a writer for, I think it's Philadelphia Magazine, and in like a few years ago, went through the montage, the training montage in Rock- Rocky 2 to just like, and what Rocky actually runs in the training montage is actually 31 miles if you run the real route. So it is an ultra marathon. If there you, you go. It's nobody's ever nobody's made it an event in Philadelphia hmm. to to like put that together as a race. The Rocky course, Ultra. But I feel like you could go and run that. Yeah, yeah. I've wanted to. Yeah, and on the art museum steps, and yeah, it's I. The neighborhoods would obviously look different. I feel like you, if you do it, you should wear white Chuck Taylors and a gray sweatsuit though. Like <laughs> every you and do it in like January. That's or the uniform. Uh, I think that's what he's yeah. wearing, right? Yeah classic rocky maybe they're not maybe they're not white chuck taylors i think they're black chucks actually mostly mostly the idea i have the image i have in my head right now is you wailing on poor scott jurek in a boxing ring (laughs) like such a nice guy and you're just like hammering away so you know scott's like what what did i do to deserve this (laughs) oh my gosh 
I like, I, I've actually never, well, I've been, I've been at races with Scott, but I haven't like officially met him, but I'm sure he's a really nice guy, but it, in my mind, I was a boxer <laughs> trying to punch a Scott yep. Jerk. So I, I mean, whatever, whatever you have you to, gotta do, do to do, like, yep. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not saying he's not nice, but from what I know of his competitive streak, I don't think he would be. No, I don't think idea. so either. I think he would be like, no, I, yeah, he'd be like, yep, whatever you need to do in those moments. So uh, yeah. I'd love to hear just a word about, you know, what you're most excited about for this coming year. If you're optimistic that, you know, some of these races uh, that you've kind of got on the schedule actually will be going forward. Um, I mean, it sounds like you are in a pretty good spot physically. I mean, you're feeling pretty good right now, I take it. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. And well, <laughs> obviously we, we couldn't have predicted what would happen this year. And um, I mean, I, I'm 38 years old right now and I'm in the prime of my running. And um, I mean, to, to lose a year is like a little bit devastating. But at the same time, like I've always joked that whenever I've had time off because of an injury or, or something like that, that it's just added time onto the end of my career. So, uh, so I'm hoping to have a really long ultra running career, uh, as long as I keep my joints healthy and and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's really hard to know what's going to happen this fall just because I feel like every time I sign up for something, it gets canceled. Um, but if I, if I have the opportunity to do, um, to do a multi-day race, which would be like 48 hours to six days, that um, I want to go longer and I want to go for more world records. And um, it feels like the, the longer, the longer the race distance, the closer I get to the men's world records. And so there's a lot of like, there's, I've done a lot of articles um, the past year where they, they, uh, you know, the talk is, you know, can women outrun the men, uh, you know? And so like, how far do I have to go to maybe potentially get close to or exceed a men's world record? And um, so, so yeah, right now we're, we're, we're looking at race possibilities here in the next couple of months. Like, could I, could I go do a multi-day race? Um, you know, or do I need to, do I need to stay closer to home and do uh, this hundred miler that I'm signed up for in September? And um, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I just want to be able to, you know, find out what's possible for women because obviously I I'm born with a really special gift for ultra running and I want to push the human limits, you know, going longer um, or doing races like uh, the big backyard ultra and um, which is a pretty, a pretty interesting race of, uh, sleep sleep deprivation and we like yeah it's just kind of kind of really far out there and um, but yeah i mean there's there's other things there's it's so cool how the sport is so diverse that i mean there's there's so many different distances and surfaces and and and, and yeah i mean i i could be doing this into my 50s and you know doing the the big backyard ultra you know when it try and win it like you know, in my fifties, because women, women, ultra runners are just, you know, ageless almost like women, women seem to, seem to do really well, like, uh, up into their fifties. So, um, so yeah, it's just gonna be really fun to just see, you know, just, just take on, you know, whatever's the next human endeavor and, uh, try to push, try to push my own human limits. So. Yeah. That sounds even like even more quote fun, unquote. Yeah. 
why why not just go six days right <laughs> and you you are signed up for the bigs backyard ultra if it happens this year yeah yeah so uh i think we got an update like last week maybe that and um, they were looking at going to an, a virtual option and i i'm not really i'm not really keen to do a virtual big backyard like i'd rather do an actual race and um, so i think i i think if they go the virtual route that i'll probably defer my entry to next year and um, so so yeah i i, I don't know what's gonna happen with that but um but yeah i'm really starting i'm kind of looking more at the multi-day races just because i kind of have this window where uh i would have you know a, a longer period of time to recover if I did a multi-day race. And um, so, see, so yeah, I'm kind of looking more at that. And, um, yeah, if I can, if I can go for a multi-day world record, that would kind of be what I would want to do. So, well, we just had right. Speed goat come off, um, <laughs> seemingly successfully, right. Uh, just, just last uh, week. Yeah, and the 50K. Yep. Like I was mentioning on one of our different podcasts like Grand Traverse just announced that they're going to hold a modified version of that event, but it's not a virtual. They're running the race um, here in Crested Butte in September. And I just, I'm like, man, I just, there are other issues in the world, you know, that surely matter more, but I am just pulling for all of these events and hoping that we can find, um, you know, uh, responsible tweaks maybe, but I, for one, would love to see these these races come back online, and um, I certainly feel for all all athletes who are like, boy, I'm you know I'm kind of ready to go here, and it I, you know yeah. it, that would be hard um, seeing these things canceled and whatnot. So um, here, fi- all my yeah. fingers are crossed. <laughs> yeah, my mine too. Yeah, I. Uh... I feel like, like I was, I was signed up. My last race I was signed up for was the, um, the bad water one thirty five, And, oh man, I mean, I feel like every time a race is canceled, like it's like a dagger to the heart. Uh, so I've kind of, I've kind of had to like emotionally grieve every time a race is canceled and then like, just try to get back on the horse and try to get back running and training again. And, um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so used to my routine of running twice a day, every day. And, and I mean, it's kind of like, you know, it's just like hardwired in my body to just do, do my routine that I've always done, whether, whether there's a race on the calendar or not. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm learning, I'm learning how to cope, you know, without races. Uh, but obviously if I had the opportunity to race, I, I would probably be like, like over the moon. So. <laughs> Well, Camille, thank you so much uh, for for the time and the great conversation. And yeah, here's very much hoping that these events come back online and that yeah. you get to pursue these dreams of the the multi-day world records. And that's going to be very fun to to watch you go after this stuff. Yeah, I think it's going to be really awesome. Like this this would be like the race of my life probably to go, to go run for six days. I mean, that's, that's pretty far, but uh, it'll be really fun to see, see what's possible. So, well, it's been great talking with you and we look forward to doing it again sometime down the line and uh, good luck with everything. Thanks so much, Camille. Yeah. Thanks guys. Have a good rest of the day. Okay. You too. 
That's it for this edition of Off the Couch. Thanks to Camille for the conversation. And if you are enjoying these Off the Couch episodes, we would very much appreciate it if you would take 30 seconds to leave us a nice little rating or review in Apple Podcasts. I also want to say thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from all of us here in Crested Butte, we hope that you are doing well. And until next time, please be safe. Please take good care of yourself and everybody else. Please keep moving forward. We will talk to you again next week.